Everybody loves McDonald's fries. So, yes, you accused your mom of stealing some of your fries on the way home. Um, but the bag did feel a little light. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome, welcome, everyone, to World Mental Health Day. So glad that you're here joining us today on <laughs> this international acknowledgement, celebration, and heightening awareness around issues of mental health and wellness. We are so glad to join you. My name is Dr. Fia and Billy Shaka, and I am Dr. Shonda. It's so great to be here with you again, Dr. Fia, and welcome to our guest. So happy to share this World Mental Health Day with you all. <laughs> How y'all doing? Y'all real quiet in the chat right now. Can we get some, right. some, some love? Okay, we see, we see you, Divine. divine. Thank, thank you for coming and peace to you too. Yes. <laughs> All right, Dr. Shonda, I'm going to get started with um, sharing the screen for our presentation because we have to be real formal. I like to be um, organized <laughs> and, and into this, this official workshop webinar vibe. Period. And while Dr. Afia <laughs> is pulling that up, let us know where you are joining us from, the city that you live in. Uh, I'm a little churchy, so we call it a talk back church. So I want y'all to talk back to us. We're not about to be quiet in here. So I want y'all to light the chat up and let us know where y'all are tuning in from. All right. All right. There people are responding, Dr. Chanda, right? We, I, I, I know I go off of energy. Me too. Hey, <laughs> hey DC. <laughs> we got Georgia. Baltimore in the house. <laughs> okay, Hyattsville. Yes. All right. I used to live by PG Plaza Mall. So, you know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> right across from the Home Depot. <laughs> hey. All right, Marietta, Georgia. That's where you, you live in Post Park? Okay, never mind. I'm <laughs> not trying to give your address out to us. <laughs> all right so you all tapped in you tapped in for this very special discussion let's talk black girl depression Doc, dr sean do you feel like black girl depression is a thing it's a real thing, Dr. Afia, and I'm so happy that we're having this discussion because far too often we perpetuate this idea that we're not allowed to have emotion and we have to persevere. So I'm so happy that you allowed me to join you and we're able to join forces together to discuss this. Yes. All right. So, Dr. Shonda, you're next. Yes. So this is our mood meter, y'all. So I know we had y'all in the chat talking about where you're from, where you're located. I want you to put in the comment section what you are feeling. This is our official check-in. How are you feeling today? And I don't want to see anybody putting okay, all right, or you know any of those other general terms. Right now, I want us to practice what we call emotion identification skills. And so we're going to use this chart in order to identify how we're feeling and we're going to check in with one another. So let us know. How are you feeling? You you model it. Where, where where are you on this chart? We got to model it first. We can't have people disclose without the model. Period. <laughs> so I would say I am feeling relaxed right now. Um, I'm not gonna lie, a little anxious, a little anxious. 
Uh, you know, Dr. Fee, it's around that that tax extension season. So, you know, I'm getting the taxes together for the tax person. And, you know, that that got me a little anxious. But other than that, I'm feeling mostly relaxed. Okay, okay. Yeah, I, I am feeling grateful. Um, I have extreme gratitude um, for days that heighten awareness um, for mental health since this is my love and passion and life mission. And I'm feeling a little tired. You know, um, I need this rest day. So, <laughs> all right. But I'm looking at the chat. Aaron is feeling rested and optimistic. Darren mm-hmm. is feeling happy and content. Hey, Darren. Um, Lakia is feeling restful and content. Okay, we got a, some rested and contentful people at ease. Mm-hmm. Sheila's feeling and divine is hopeless and t- Hopeless and tired. All right. Hopefully that we can monitor that. Um, you want to weigh on that, Dr. Shonda? Yeah, I, I love uh, Divine. We definitely appreciate your transparency because, you know, it, def- it definitely takes a lot of courage to be transparent about how we're feeling. And we're going to talk more about things that cause us to feel hopeless and tired and how that can be symptoms of, of other things that we'll be talking about today. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. Adrian's d- satisfied. And LaDante is feeling relieved and calm, which is a blessing considering, oh, you just had a major surgery. Lots yes. of <laughs> sent your way. Okay. Lots of healing vibes. Yes, yes. Send that your way. Awesome. Yeah. Well, we appreciate y'all for checking in with us. Absolutely, because we just had you go right away and <laughs> talking about your feelings. But, you know, we're in good company. Um, I think... Luckily, talking about feelings and mental health has become more of a popular or a trending experience since the pandemic, my personal opinion. And there's been a lot of Black celebrities and especially Black women coming out about their struggles with depression, right, Um, to identify that they explicitly were feeling depressed and how it looks differently, a little bit different in different people's lives. So, for example, um, I'm sure you all have heard of Taraji. But there are some times where I feel absolutely helpless, right? Absolutely helpless. Those are strong words and language to describe your feeling. Or, you know, Michelle Obama um, during the pandemic was very open about her mental health stressors, um, saying that I'm waking up in the middle of the night because I'm worried about something or there's a heaviness. Um, so even hearing a, a past first lady talking about the heaviness and difficulty sleeping or even Janet Jackson, um, that she really wasn't happy with how she looked. And for most of her life, she lacked, um, happiness following her. So to even think about like, this is someone who's been wealthy her whole life has had basically anything she's wanted, but still feeling like she couldn't be happy and even about how she looked right but couldn't feel like she could ever be happy does any of this sound familiar not trying to get in your business but these might be thoughts that we've experienced or concerns that have come up all right Dr. Shonda we're going to go through these learning objectives right because it's always an opportunity to learn and self-awareness is so critical um, so what we're going to guide you all through some of this cultural historical aspects of understanding depression, right? Because we have to understand um, how we arrived to this moment in time as Black women. 
Um, hopefully there'll be a heightened sense of knowledge as we clarify some of the symptoms for common mood disorders, right? It's not just depression when someone feels depressed. There are multiple disorders that are connected to that low feeling. And then skills, um, hopefully we can recognize the differences in diagnosis and the role that culture can play and even how our culture can factor in how we get treatment. There are so many different ways to treat depression. And so we're going to be going through that as well today. Does that sound good? You, you all ready for this? You have a notebook. You you ready to ask questions? You are We're there. We're good. I know it's Monday afternoon. Okay. We're getting some thumbs up. All right. Let's go. Okay. Let's go. <laughs> Yeah, so just to go a little bit more into detail about myself and Dr. Afia and um, a bit of our backgrounds. So this just kind of gives a, a little snapshot into our careers. So we are both licensed clinical psychologists um, about this work. We we specialize in working with Black people and um, Black mental health, especially that of Black women. And here are the different um, networks and organizations and people that we've been able to contribute to. So like we said, uh, mental health has become a very popular topic over the past few years, especially since the pandemic. And people are reaching out to us to, to try to get further clarification pertaining to Black people in our mental health. So um, just giving you all that background about us. Okay, so Dr. Sean, just wanted to put our receipts there to show that we're legit. <laughs> we know what we're talking about. I'm just trying to get the people to know we know what we're talking about. You know, subject matter experts on Black women's mental health. You know, just not a major. <laughs> All right, so let, let's start with this. What makes something a psychological disorder, right? We have to enter into the conversation of what is healthy versus unhealthy, normal versus abnormal. And right here is basically a list of ways to understand what makes something a psychological disorder. So the first thing we can go over is dysfunction. Basically, it's something not working. It's something broken down in the way that we think, the way that we feel, and the way that we are behaving and acting. It's something not working, just like your phone might have some glitches or something going on with your refrigerator. It's something not working the way it's supposed to Hey there, ever thought about what makes your heart beat a little faster? Oh, you mean like when you discover a new track that just speaks to you? Yeah, or finding a movie that you can't stop thinking about? Well, get ready to feel that excitement all over again because Amazon Prime is here to take your entertainment and shopping experience to the next level. Absolutely. Prime isn't just about getting your packages quicker. It's about diving into a world of endless possibilities, from the latest releases to exclusive content you won't find anywhere else. And don't even get me started on the music. Prime offers concert specials that will transport you right to the front room. It's like being at the hottest gigs without leaving your living room. I use Prime to tap in with some of my favorite artists' live shows from any and every genre of music. Trust me, Prime is a game changer. It's like having a personalized superstore and entertainment hub right at your fingertips. So why wait? Head over to Amazon.com forward slash Prime and start experiencing entertainment like never before. Post to work. All right. Another aspect of what determines if something is healthy, unhealthy in terms of psychological disorders is personal distress. Basically, do you not feel good about what's happening? Do you not feel good? Or even do other people feel distress around the way that you think, the way that you feel, or the way that you behave? It's something outside of um, that, that comfortable, this feels good zone. And then also acknowledging 
Is a certain behavior, thought, or feeling atypical, or is it not a culturally expected response? So I'm just going to give my, my PWI versus HBCU experience. So for undergrad, I went to the University of Pennsylvania, and there it was very normal, Dr. Shonda, when it was snowing for people to wear shorts and flip-flops, right? Everybody was wearing shorts and flip-flops when it snowed. My classmates, I was not wearing the shorts and flip-flops when it snowed, but that was considered normal there. And I was abnormal because I had like a like triple fat goose. Okay, I went to college a while ago, but had real, <laughs> real big coat on boots and all of that, but was seen out of context, right? That, that they were normal and I wasn't. But then I went to historically black college. I went to Howard University for grad school and it was the complete opposite. When it snowed on that campus, Nobody even came outside, right? So people, <laughs> classes were trying to get canceled. Nobody was showing up. If you came out in shorts and flip-flops there, you would actually be like, who, who is that over there? They need to go to the counseling center or something because it was seen as just being so out of context. But I can give you this sort of uh, cheat sheet of understanding mental illness, the four Ds. And I'm using mental illness very clearly on, on purpose to suggest that, um, when someone's not feeling well, right? When someone's not feeling well. So we can think of it as this, deviance, distress, dysfunction, and danger. Those are four ways we can basically identify is something healthy or unhealthy when it comes to our thoughts, feelings, or behavior. So deviance. Deviance basically means, are you doing something that the average person doesn't do? And, and now it can even be the frequency of that behavior. All right, I'm just gonna pick something. During this pandemic, we know people have really been into washing their hands, right? People, that's a normal behavior we're all doing. I would love for you in the chat right now to ask about how many times a day do you think the average person washes their hands right now? Give me a number in the chat. The average number of times a day, times a day that someone is washing their hands. You could just put a little guesstimate in the chat, a number. Okay, Dr. Shonda says four to five. What, what do other people say? I want to hear Divine, Adrian. Dante, what do you think? Okay, we got a 10 from Sheila. We got a six from Dareth. Yeah, let, let's go with let's go with the six if if I can do that, the average six times a day, right? That's for bathrooming, because you know, Dr. Sean, not everybody be washing their hands. You've been in the public bathroom, they just walk out. Just nasty. Just nasty. <laughs> All right, let's go with. But okay, we're washing our hands for the bathroom, we wash our hands when we come in outside the house, we wash our hands for cooking, right? Maybe after a meal to clean our hands. All right, but there are going to be people who wash their hands, I'm looking at this, eight times an hour, right? There's going to be somebody who's just going to keep washing their hands, washing their hands. Imagine what your hands would look like if you washed your hands eight times in an hour, on the hour. So probably real dry and cracked. Um, I don't even know if shea butter could repair that. But if you think about the opposite end, let's say that there are people out there who are washing their hands six to eight times a year. Imagine what their hands look like, right? So even thinking about something as simple as hand washing, we can see on this spectrum. And so the people who are doing too much or too little, that's considered deviance. But I just want to use one more example, Dr. Shonda. Let's let let's go with crying. I would love for in the chat, and this is, you know, this this is your choice to participate. On average, how often do you think a black woman cries per month? 
How many times do you think the average black woman cries per month? All right, this is just, okay. Dara's saying like a good 10 times. So that's every three days. Okay. Once or twice, Aaron said, you know, like maybe in the beginning of the month, the end of the month. All right. Sheila says, maybe not at all to one. All right. Divine's like seven. Once basically have <laughs> every three, four days. All right. Dante's like five times. Like, okay. Get, maybe once a week with the extra time, 30 times. Okay. Maybe once a day, sincere says. All right. So we have to think there's a, a range, but let's go with, I'm going to calculate it. Let's go with five. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to do quick math in my head. So let's say five times a month, but there are going to be black women who are crying five times a day. And there are also going to be black women who are crying five times in their entire lives. And I'm just going to give an example real quick, not to put my family's business out there, but I have this aunt Carol, my dad's sister, who I've never seen cry. This woman does not cry. I remember Going to my grandmother's funeral, she didn't cry. My grandfather's funeral, she didn't cry. Her husband's funeral, she did not cry. My cousin's funeral, her own daughter, sis did not cry. And I had to ask my dad, I'm like, dad, has Aunt Carol, have you ever seen her cry in your entire life? And he was like, I think once, when she was like 12 and she got in trouble this one time, but that can even be seen like, that's really little crying <laughs> that it, my dad, my aunt is 80 years old, just to give that context. And my dad's in his 70s. And so just to think not crying can also be a concern. So even think about what, what it is, but that cultural norm of what we think is average. All right, distress, like I shared for the four Ds, um, it's, it's, you don't feel good about something or someone else doesn't feel good about a behavior, dysfunction, again, something is broken or not working, and then danger. Yes, a certain thought, feeling, or behavior can actually be dangerous, right? If it causes harm to yourself or other people, it can be dangerous. So these four Ds are a way that I think of how to categorize a thought, feeling, or behavior as normal or abnormal. You, you agree, Dr. Shonda? Am I doing good? Okay, thank you, Dr. Shonda. All right, so the purpose of diagnosis, why do we even diagnose people? As clinical psychologists, why do Dr. Shonda and I diagnose people? Well, it helps us to communicate to each other around what symptoms someone has, right? If I'm saying someone's very tired and they're hungry all the time, maybe that could be they're pregnant, but it also could mean that they're feeling depressed, right? And so we have to group different things together. Also a major purpose of a diagnosis is to get a treatment. So have you ever had to go to multiple doctors and get a second and third opinion, right? Basically when you have a, a diagnosis then it's, a, oh, the best way to treat this is to, to do that. So I remember I broke my foot several years ago and had to get an x-ray, right? Once they said my fifth metatarsal was broken, they knew the best way to treat it. The same thing when it comes to mental health. Once we identify what is going on in someone's mind or their behaviors or their thought, you know, thought process, process we can then treat it. We can then treat it. Um, and so, for example, I would love for you in the chat right now, what do you all do when someone has a cold. What's the best way to treat a cold? Because sometimes there's controversy in the chat around this one. What is the best way to treat a cold? I want to know your family secrets, your recipes. I want to know them. I want to try them. It might be a bad cold and flu. Okay. Ginger ale. All right. That cures everything. That cures everything. The cure. All right. Rest, fluid, soup. Rest, rest and fluids. All right. So just the same thing. If we know it's a cold, 
we know how to treat it, right? Versus if, if it's some sort of virus, maybe those things will or won't, won't work the same way. And so we have a book that we all use um, in the mental health field, or most of us, the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Health. So the DSM, it's up to its fifth version, and it's developed by the American Psychiatric Association. So psychiatrists are mental health professionals who prescribe medication, right? The difference between a clinical psychologist like me and Dr. Shonda and a psychiatrist is that me and Dr. Shonda don't prescribe meds, but a psychiatrist is. So they're looking for chemical imbalances and all of that, but that's who actually made the book. So for a lot of the psychological disorders that exist in this DSM book, there's a medication that goes along with it too. Right. And so this book contains all the listings and descriptions of various psychological diagnoses, again, for the purpose of coming up ways to identify and then to be able to treat it. But as you can imagine, you all, as you can imagine, it is extremely biased. It is extremely biased. So considering that the first DSM was made in 1952, Imagine some of the social order and structure in the United States during 1952, right? The second version came out in 1968. 1968, things weren't even that great for Black people then too, right? Dr. King got assassinated. Think about it. These, these are the times when these psychological disorders are being developed. And so a lot of them are based on this implicit white male, wealthy, heterosexual client, right? So we said psychiatrists are in control of this book. And so they had someone... If you went on a road trip and you didn't stop for a Big Mac or drop a crispy fry between the car seats or use your McDonald's bag as a placemat, then that wasn't a road trip. It was just a really long drive. At participating McDonald's. In mind when developing these psychological disorders, right, that white, male, wealthy, heterosexual, was healthy. And people who didn't fit within that could actually be seen as unhealthy. So I imagine, I don't, I don't want to project onto anybody in here. I'm imagining there's no one who identifies as these characteristics in the chat right now. I'm assuming, I'm assuming that none of us are. So just to even think about how that there could be bias against us. But I want to get a little bit historical and understanding two psychological disorders that happened about 100 to 150 years ago that were very common for people who look like us. So one disorder that comes from one of the ancestors of mental health in this country is um, Dr. Samuel Cartwright. He proposed a psychological disorder called drapedomania. I don't know if you all have heard of this one before, but drapedomania was considered a mental illness for Black people, only Black people if they had a desire to free from servitude. Yes, you could be diagnosed with a psychological disorder if you were an enslaved African on a plantation and wanted to be free. Dr. Shonda, I think I would have had this. I think I would have had it. But the desire to not be a slave was a psychological disorder. And one of the ways that they would actually prevent the disorder and treat it, it was the same way to prevent it and treat it, was to whip somebody, to whip them that this was a way to not make them want to flee from servitude. And if they did, that was also the treatment. So again, I'm mindful of these diagnoses and treatments being very biased. And then there's something called hysteria, which was very popular at the birth of European Western psychology in the early 1900s. Hysteria was basically a psychological disorder if a woman expressed intense emotion 
just was loud, <laughs> was crying, had an attitude, a woman would be diagnosed with hysteria. And basically, they identified the reason that a woman would be emotional would be that her uterus was moving around to different parts of her body. Her uterus was floating. She had a floating uterus, and therefore, it made her very emotional. It made her very emotional. So to think about these two particular disorders, one that only Black people could be diagnosed with, and the other that only women could be diagnosed with. So imagine that intersection, Dr. Shonda, for the origin of some of these disorders that were where Black women are the complete opposite of who was making some of these disorders. So they were using their norms and values to be able to diagnose us and to say we're sick. Are y'all paying attention to this? And I just want to make sure that we're getting the, the bias that exists in some behaviors that can be normal or healthy for us. And so even with that <laughs> context, let's get into what these mood disorders are. If you're, if you're here with me, can you write in the chat, I'm ready. Can you write, I'm ready, if you're ready to go through these mood disorders? I got to know. All right, Dr. Shauna's ready. Adrian's ready. Aaron's ready. All right, Sheila is ready. Divine is ready. All right. Okay, Lakia, I knew you had to be ready too. All right. So do, do we know who this is in the picture? You know who this is? Um, if you know who it is, write it in the chat. Write her name in the chat because she is actually the highest paid female athlete in the world. She is the highest paid female athlete in the world. All right, Sincere, be careful while you're driving. Uh, <laughs> do we know who this is? All right, the highest paid female athlete right now is Nick. Okay, Adrian, got it. Naomi Osaka. Naomi Osaka has been very, very explicit that she has a mood disorder. She's told us She's been in news interviews. She hasn't showed up to games. She's canceled major matches because her, her mind, she felt like, wasn't right. So let's get into, again, let's get into what um, mood disorders actually include. All right. So mood disorders, if you have a mood disorder, your general emotional state or mood is distorted or inconsistent with your circumstances. And it interferes with your ability to function. Basically, what this means, again, going back to those four Ds, you're, something is not working. You may feel extremely sad, empty, or irritable. Or you might have periods of depression altering, alternating between being extremely happy and extremely depressed. And so when somebody says mood disorders, it can include any of the following, major depressive disorder, bipolar disorder, cyclothymic disorder, seasonal affective disorder. I feel like you all have heard of this one. We're going to go through it because that the way this weather is changing. All right. Depression related to mental um, medical illness, right? To think about what does a diagnosis of cancer do to someone's mood um, or something called dysthymia or a persistent depressive disorder, meaning that someone can have the symptoms for years, years. And then premenstrual dysphoric disorder. This is one of the newest mood disorders, PMDD. And guess what? Only women can be diagnosed with this disorder. And it lines up with moods changing during a period. So we're going to get into that. All right, y'all re ready? Okay. Okay. Shameless plug, Dr. Shonda. Can I shameless plug? This is my book. This is my book. It's all about depression. 
<laughs> all about depression. You see my name on the bottom, um, second row to the right. So this book actually was written by all Black psychologists. It was written by all Black psychologists. Picture that, a book all about depression written by all Black psychologists. You know, it's an e-book. You can pick it up. Kendall Hunt. Okay. But let's get into some uh, some bullet-pointed facts. So depression is one of the most common mental disorders in the world. Globally, more than 264 million people of all ages suffer from depression. And so it's actually the leading cause of disability worldwide and a major contributor to the overall global burden of the disease. And it's bolded right here. More women report, and I should add that in there, report being affected by depression than men. I would love for you in the chat right now. Why do you think more women might have a diagnosis of depression? I know we didn't even get into the full symptoms of depression, but you could still add and guess. Why do you think more women might be on here? Why are more women having a diagnosis? All right, women tend to vocalize feelings more. Excellent point, right? We seek help. Exactly, Dareth. So I, I saw some comedians say like a man's prostate will fall out of his butt and he'll tape back in with some duct tape, right? Just not even putting the attention that, yeah, men do not seek help. So even thinking about this, that there's disparities in the numbers of women versus men who have the diagnosis of a depressive disorder, but women tend to get treatment more. Um, we also need to recognize that Depression does have a relationship with suicide ideation and even suicide. But also what I hope you take away from this slide is that there are effective treatments for depression that are both psychological and pharmacological, pharmacological meaning medication, and that it can treat very moderate or severe forms of depression. All right. And then, Dr. Shonda, can I show a quick clip? All right. So does anybody like the show New Father Chronicles? It might just be me. I like to watch it on uh, YouTube. It's about a dad and his two daughters, but his wife is in and out of the videos. And so sometimes she's out of the videos because she's actually having severe forms of depression. And so this is a video to describe what her depression feels like. Yes, Erin, you follow yeah, LaGuardia? Um, such a great couple. Yes, and very open about her mental illness. So I'm going to play this clip really quickly, okay? Now, the most common comment I'm used to seeing is how is Leah doing? Anybody that has been following this channel for any significant amount of time, you all know about some of the behind the scenes struggles we've had as a family. And so this may be the easiest sponsorship we've done because Google set up something to help new moms dealing with postpartum depression, which is exactly what Leah dealt with for both of her pregnancies. It was just incredible to have like this other little being, this tiny little baby home with us. And um, we were just excited. Like everything was just like, look at her and, you know, LaGuardia had the camera out. He was just, you know, so amazed in his own way. So his way is like having the camera in her face. And that's when he started New Father Chronicles. So he, that was just like, you know, it was just out of pure love and fascination over, wow, we made a baby together. Amala was maybe a month old when I started having these um, 
feelings. Her cry, like it was really hard to hear her cry. And Everybody loves McDonald's fries. So yes, you accused your mom of stealing some of your fries on the way home. Um, but the bag did feel a little light. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Made me feel panicky because she was colicky at the time. She would cry nonstop, no matter what we did. We tried all kinds of things. We went to the pediatrician, they had us trying all kinds of things, and it, I just couldn't take it. And I was feeling weird because my emotions would go from like panicking, like in distress, like because my baby's in distress and, I, and I'm not able to comfort her, to like frustration because there's nothing I'm able to do to like, help her and I felt bad because it was just like so you're allowed to be gifted with a, a child and you can't even take care of her and she's not even asking much from you it just made me like feel like less than a person I felt like scum because I wanted her and then I wanted to give her back and I didn't feel like a mom. I didn't even feel like a woman. I felt like I cheated, like being um, allowed to like give birth to a healthy baby because I couldn't take care of her and I didn't know what to do except for wanting to retreat and hide. I distinctly remember her being about 10 weeks and you know, LaGuardia was there the whole time, you know, witnessing everything, you know, hearing me, you know, cry and, you know just being depressed and i just didn't i just didn't see it enough to be like you know i need help it was all right that that was intense you all um i'm gonna stop stop sharing just for a second um to see if anyone wanted to unmute and give a response i know that could be quite triggering but if anyone wanted to give a reflection on something that they observed or noticed or identified with, I just wanted to create safe, safe space to do that. Is okay. that okay, Dr. Shonda, just to see if there was anyone's reaction to what was being shared? If you knew anyone who's gone through postpartum, maybe you've experienced it yourself. Sometimes it's called um, the baby blues. No pressure. I don't want to force anybody to talk, but I just wanted to create space because I know that that was a lot to um, observe and witness, especially a, someone who looks like us. Okay. All right. I'm going to keep going, Dr. Sean. Does that sound fair? Okay. All right. Okay. And so now I'm going through the symptoms of a depressive episode. And so what can happen with this to remember what the symptoms are is something called Siggy caps, a way to remember um, what the symptoms are. First, we can go through sleep changes. When someone's having a depressive episode, they their sleep increases during the day or can be decreased sleep at night. So some people tend to sleep more when they're feeling depressed and some people tend to sleep less. In the chat, I would love for you if you feel comfortable saying when you're feeling really overwhelmed, sad or distressed, do you tend to sleep more or less? Dr. Sean, do you want to disclose what you do? Are you a sleeper or do you lose sleep when a lot is on your mind? Yeah. So when I'm, it depends on the emotion. If I'm sad, then I'm usually getting more sleep. If I'm like anxious or stressed, then I get less sleep. 
Okay. Okay. Yeah. We got less sleep in here. A few people saying less. All right. And then I interest, a loss of interest in things that usually would cause you pleasure. So if you love to dance, you love to sing, you notice you're not singing and dancing as much, or maybe you love to write and paint and you're not doing those activities, or even you love to run like Dr. Shonda. I'm trying to keep up with Dr. Shonda, but not even wanting to run or, or do it anymore. All right. Another one is guilt or a sense of worthlessness. So depressed people tend to devalue themselves, put them, them, their own selves down, have negative self-talk. Oh, why do I look like this? Why do I act like this? I'm such a loser. That's something that could echo through someone's head. Um, and then energy. So a lack of energy, oftentimes presenting as fatigue. I've seen memes out there saying when a black woman says she's tired, believe her, right? In terms of recognizing that it's a deep level of fatigue, not that they miss a night of sleep, but like just exhausted at a to their bones. All right, C for caps. So cognition and concentration. Do you have a, a reduced uh, ability to think or focus? Are, are you having difficulty concentrating, tending to maybe have to read the same line over and over in an email or getting overwhelmed with tasks for work or school where you can't seem to complete assignments or turn things in on time? Appetite. All right. This can be a weight change when you're not intentionally trying to lose weight. So that could be either you eat more or you lose your appetite. All right. If you want to disclose in here, who in here tends to eat more when they're feeling sad? All right. Me. All right. Who tends to eat less? Anybody lose their appetite? Please let me know. Do you eat more? Eat? Okay. Sheila said, I eat more. Adrian's less. Dr. John, the less. Okay. I'm, see more. Yes. Pam. Right. Pam. I, I am just, I have this, I'm, I cannot be satisfied. I'm, sad. I'm like, Ooh, that cake looks good. Oh, that brownie, those cook. It tends to be sweets for me, but I know my husband has a complete opposite thing that he turns into very thin and bony person when he's having significant amount of stress. Me, I get real cushiony. Um, Astrologically, eaters during these times may have cancer in their chart. Hmm. Okay, data. Um, it's what I eat, junk food and pastries. Yeah, so it's not like eating lots of strawberries. It tends to be bread and cookies. I know the carb floating happens for me. All right, and then psychomotor. So you actually tend to move your body differently, being more agitated and feeling more anxious or even slowing down. You're just not moving fast. Your body is like, oh, let me get up out of this bed. Oh, let me go take my shower. Oh, that took two hours to get out of bed and take a shower. That actually can be a sign or symptom of a depressive episode. And then finally, suicide or death preoccupation. So having lots of thoughts of ending your life, it could just be a thought, right? But what would things be like? Um, if, if I no longer had this pain or if I wasn't around. So that actually can be a symptom of a depressive episode. And so you might say, well, what triggers this? What is causing this to happen, right? What is causing this to happen? Well, it could be chemicals. There are neurotransmitters. These are chemicals in your brain that regulate your mood um, or pleasure or um, body homeostasis. So things like dopamine, norepinephrine or serotonin. There's a medication specifically called SSRI, selective serotonin reuptake inhibitor, selective serotonin reuptake inhibitor. And these um, 
medications regulate the amount of serotonin, which is connected to um, depressive episodes. It could be genetics in terms of twin studies and family studies suggest that genes play a role. So if your mother had depression, you're 50% more likely to have a depressive episode at some point in your life. It could be situational in terms of very stressful life events, such as a death or loss in your family, losing your job, having a breakup, a a divorce, losing a child, all of these different factors playing into causing or triggering depression. Um, Another thing is cognitions. Dr. Shonda is going to go into this in depth in terms of the way that we think our approach or mindset to things. And then finally, oppression. Thinking about us being Black women, there are a lot of circumstances in life that we're taught we're ineffective, we don't have control. Um, There was... (laughs) basically um, a study done by someone named Seligman and he locked up these dogs in a cage um, and then opened up the door cage. And if the dog tried to escape, it would get electrocuted. So it would try to escape and get electrocuted. It tried to escape and get electrocuted. So to the point where the dog's like, I'm not trying to get out of this cage, I'm going to get electrocuted. So what did the researcher do? They turn off the electricity. And regardless of if there was electricity or not, the dog never tried to escape. Now, there's a very famous psychologist named Dr. Amos Wilson. He's now an ancestor. But Dr. Amos Wilson said we shouldn't identify with the researcher. We should identify with the animal. To what degree are our lives being controlled in this way? That regardless of what we feel like we could do, that someone else is controlling it. And so there's this learned helplessness. I won't even try to get free. I won't even try to lose weight. I won't even try to go on a date. I won't even try to get this new job because in the past when it happened, I didn't get it and it was terrible. So how does that get generalized to future experiences? Yep, Element remembers those studies. All right. So there are so many different types of mood disorders that have depressive episodes. So major depressive disorder is probably one of the most common out there. And it has to have those symptoms that I went over for just two weeks, two weeks of having it. Oftentimes it's recurrent. So if you have one depressive episode, it's more likely that you'll have them more in the future. Or there's something called dysthymia, where it's a less severe form of depression, but it happens for years to get the diagnosis. Who needs an alarm in the morning when McDonald's has sausage, egg, and cheese McGriddles and a breakfast cutoff? Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. You have depression for years, and it's higher frequencies for Black women in particular that we're like, well, this is, has become the norm, right? Our, all those symptoms I described or seasonal affective disorder. So these are cycles by sunlight. It's similar to hibernation that when that winter weather comes that we get more and more depressed, there's less sun and less sun in the mornings in particular, which has a huge impact on our ability to start the day. All right, I've talked about this earlier, PMDD, premenstrual dysphoric disorder. This basically is when someone feels irritable, overly sensitive, they're crying, they're forgetful, have arguments, and it all relates to having their menstrual cycle, either the week before or the week of, these symptoms emerge. When they're not having their period, the symptoms are gone. Bipolar disorder is something similar in terms of having depression, but it's also followed by a more manic episode, which I'll get into. And then postpartum depression that Leah in the video had, where there are hormonal shifts and even that sense of social isolation that comes with being a new mom, right? There's this unique cocktail that actually brings someone to these deep states of depression. Oh, Dr. Shonda, I'm going to stop talking here, but in terms of 
getting into a manic episode is almost the opposite of depressive episode. And so to be able to tap into being more talkative, having all these ideas, not needing sleep, but we don't always recognize that we can have both. And that's the criteria for depressed for bipolar disorder to have depressive episodes and these experiences of mania. All right, Dr. Shana, I'm going to stop talking let you you go now. (laughs) Listen, Doc, we appreciate you for giving us the rundown of depression, mood disorders, all those things. I want y'all to put a fire emoji or a 100 emoji inside of the chat section if you have been learning from Dr. Afia and some of the things that she had uh, taught us. So, we're going to go into some of the some more of the causes and what we call the maintenance factors of depression. And what we mean by maintenance factors is basically what maintains these symptoms. One of these things are called cognitive distortions, basically how we think. So before I get into, yeah, somebody put the 100 emoji. Um, okay, keep lighting the chat up. So Uh, Before I get into cognitive distortions and what they are and examples of them, I want us to look at this picture that I have on the left side of the screen. And I want you to put in the chat what exactly you think this is. How do you interpret this picture? And I'm sure we've seen this before. This is called an optical illusion. So what do y'all see? Dr. Afia, what do you see? Okay. The first thing I saw (laughs) was a young woman. Okay, so you see a young woman. Element sees a a young lady as well. Lakia sees two things. So a young woman as well as an old woman. Sheila sees a young woman. Yeah, so I I love that y'all are um, engaging in this. So when I initially looked at this, I saw the young woman with her head turned. And this is a very common optical illusion. You can actually Google it. Um, And then I also saw the older woman where it looks like here is her. I don't know if y'all can see my mouse, but her nose is the chin of the younger woman, and you can see her mouth at the bottom area. And so why are we looking at optical illusions? Well, it's basically showing us how our brains are essentially wired to make interpretations. Our brain is wired to fill in the gaps because in split moments or moments where I have to make a quick decision, I might not always have time to observe every single detail. So our brains are wired to fill in the blanks and to make interpretations. However, the problem is sometimes the interpretations that we make are based on not necessarily taking in the full picture, not taking in the full idea of things. And sometimes when that is negative and it impacts our mood, we label that as a cognitive distortion. So just like optical illusions, cognitive distortions trick you into seeing something different to reality or at least an incomplete picture. And so we're going to go over a few cognitive distortions and what they look like. Okay, so here an example, here's an example of more cognitive distortion. So again, basically um, how I define cognitive distortions is taking the word distortion, something that is uh, twisted, not based in reality. And when we say cognitive, we're basically talking about thoughts. So think of a cognitive distortion as a twisted way of thinking. It's again, not rooted in reality or not taking in the totality of the situation. One of the most common cognitive distortions that we tend to utilize, especially me, Dr. Afia, people think that, you know, as psychologists or whatever, sometimes we don't experience these, but everybody has these. Um, One of the most common ones is dichotomous thinking. And so dichotomous thinking is also known as black and white thinking. Uh, For instance, we're not seeing ourselves, other people or the world in terms of gray. We're not taking in the whole picture. It's either all good or it's all bad. I'm either 100 percent perfect or I'm a failure. 
I didn't get the job. Therefore, I'm a terrible human being. I'm incompetent. Right. So there's no gray area at all. So when we think in these dichotomous ways, why is that bad? Well, we're not giving ourselves room for error. We're not giving ourselves room to be human. Therefore, thinking dichotomously causes us to either see ourselves as either 100% good and 100% bad, and that can negatively impact our mood. Another cognitive distortion that is very common is disqualifying the positive, disqualifying the positive. So not counting the good things that have happened, only focusing on the bad. So one example that comes to mind for me is, imagine you did a, a presentation at work, your supervisor gave you amazing feedback, your colleagues gave you feedback, and then that one person says, oh, you could have did better on your slides, or you could have added more pictures to your slides, or you had a typo in uh, slide three. I just want you to be aware of that. And so disqualifying the positive would be for me to completely negate everything that all the all the good things that people have said about it and to only focus on that typo that I put in there, to only focus on that time that I stuttered, to only focus on the things that aren't necessarily positive that make me feel good about the situation. I'm only, I'm disqualifying the positive and only focusing on the negative. And when we think that way, that has a tendency to exacerbate what we call negative moods and can, again, uh, lead to that depressive cycle that we're talking about. So what are y'all saying in the chat? Somebody said, I tend to, Lakia said, I tend to disqualify the positive all the time. Lakia, girl, you are not alone. Um, and so I want you to know that. So Dr. Fia says you do that I do that one. So are you talking about dichotomous thinking, Dr. Afia? I feel like that's probably the ones that I use the most often as well. And so like we said, it doesn't mean that there's something wrong with you that we are oh disqualifying the positive, Dr. Afia says. It just means that we have to pay attention. We have to think about the way we think. Right. So I know that sounds weird, but we really have to think about the way we think. All right. So another form of cognitive distortions is jumping to conclusions, jumping to conclusions. Y'all, I'm not going to lie. I jump to conclusions every day. Like what? You know, jumping to conclusions is probably part of the ways that we uh, protect ourselves from harm. It, again, it's our, our brain's way of filling in blanks, but it's not okay if it's causing me to, uh, it's, it's causing exacerbation in symptoms or exacerbating uh, negative feelings and negative thoughts about myself. So one common example of jumping to conclusions is what we call mind reading. So mind reading is me assuming that I know what other people are thinking about me. So for instance, Let's say you're texting one of your good friends and they all of a sudden stop texting. And you don't hear from them for a few hours. Mind reading would be, oh, they thought the conversation was boring or I must be I must be a burden to them. I must be wearing them down. Mind reading suggests that I know exactly what's going on in that person in their their lives. And I'm trying to interpret what that means in my situation. So Sheila girl said that that's her. So Sheila, listen, that is, I know it's relatable to all of us. Aaron said that that's her as well. Y'all, that's probably, again, one of the very common ones that I come across. Fortune telling, that is another common method of jumping to conclusions, fortune telling. So that is basically where I assume that I know what the outcome is going to be. I can't have that conversation with my supervisor. I can't ask them for a raise. Why? Because they're going to say no. I can't ask that person on a date. Why? Because they're probably already dating someone, right? So jumping to conclusions means that, again, I'm allowing my brain to kind of jump to these um, arbitrary conclusions without any set evidence, which inherently can cause me to um, go into some sort of like anxiety spiral or to experience a depressive mood. 
I love that y'all are relating mm-hmm. to this. All right, so we got some more cognitive distortions mm-hmm. on the way. So we have catastrophizing. Mm-hmm catastrophizing. So catastrophizing is basically when we're thinking that the worst case scenario will be the likely outcome. The worst case scenario will be the likely outcome. So what do you mean? So that is me uh, thinking that if I go on this job interview, they'll probably say I, I won't get the job because I don't have enough experience. So I'm thinking about the worst case scenario and assuming that that's going to happen. That is catastrophizing. Or if I I um, try to walk across the street, then I'll likely get hit by a car, right? So always thinking the worst case scenario, blowing things pretty much out of proportion. And so you'll find as we talk about these cognitive distortions and we think about what they mean and how they show up in our lives, that a lot of them overlap. So if I have a thought that's catastrophizing, it might also be jumping to conclusions or dichotomous thinking. So they, they usually tend to overlap. So it's important to keep that in mind. And then we have should statements. We have should statements. So I'm pretty sure we have all used should statements. Should statements are basically when we say things like should or um, always or shouldn't or what have you pertaining to ourselves, other people or the world. I should be furthering my career. I, I shouldn't let that bother me as what as much. I should do this. I should do that. And when we give ourselves, when we think in the in the form of a should, we're not necessarily giving ourselves again that room to be human. We're putting a lot of expectations on ourselves, which can lead to intense frustration. It can lead to um, negative self esteem or or uh, causing us to question our self worth or where we are in terms of life and career and things of that nature. So are we shooting? Are we are we identifying um, thoughts that can be formulated in a should statement? Therefore, we should be uh, paying attention to that. So <laughs> Dr. Athea said, don't should yourself. I agree, Dr. Athea, we should not be shooting. Um, Element said, could this thinking either be a result of high cortisol levels or the beginning to enter the system increasingly as thought develops catastrophizing? Um, I'm not sure if I understand the question. Hold on. Could this thinking either be a result of high cortisol levels or are the beginning to enter the system? Yeah, so the HPA axis that Dr. Afia is, is talking about is related to anxiety, um, which is related to also cortisol release. I'm not sure exactly how that impacts. Uh, thinking or what have you, Dr. Fia, if you understand the question, you can come in and um, hop in and answer that as well. This this is a high level question. Um, (laughs) It makes me think about the the HPA axis, the hypothalamus pituitary adrenal um, connection in terms of how stress hormones function and are distributed throughout our body and how much our minds control it, right? The hypothalamus is something that is a like almond size, sorry, I came outside trying to get some sun, an almond size part of our brain. Our pituitary gland connects to it and it's a chickpea size. I think I'm hungry, Dr. Sean. I'm just talking about vegan foods. <laughs> chickpea size part of our brain that then connects to um, a lower part of our body and, and like how it, again, communicates. Once we have a thought, our whole uh, emotional, energetic stress level can shift. So when you have a cognitive distortion, it actually changes the chemistry of your body. So I think that that's what Element's getting to, which is a really deep metaphysical concept. So keep going with it. Keep going, Dr. John. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I totally agree, Dr. Fia. Um, and it makes you wonder, like, does the, the cortisol 
does the thought impact the cortisol, which I know we we learned that it does, but also like does the cortisol impact the thoughts as well, which is, yeah. So I don't know, just something to think about. Um, okay, so when talking about personalization, so we're looking, we're blaming ourselves or taking responsibility for something that wasn't completely your fault. So we often see this in people who experience trauma. Um, sometimes people who who experience trauma in some way begin to uh, self-blame and to target themselves and say it was my fault or I could have done something differently uh, to, to cause the outcome to be different. When in fact, it could have been several different things that could have caused the situation to go the way it did. So personalization, um, again, can lead to that, that negative uh, way of viewing ourselves, other people and the world. So it sounds like we have a lot of people in the chat who relate to some of these cognitive distortions that we tend to utilize. These are only six, but there are tons of cognitive distortions out there that are very, very common. Um, yeah. And so here are some common forms of treatment. So I know we talked a lot about like depression, what causes depression, what maintains depression, all these different things. And so we want to be able to leave off on a, a happier note, like, okay, there is help out there. There are treatments that are proven um, and that have been tested and research that can really help people um, in order to help manage the depressive symptoms, especially Black women. Uh, so one of the types of treatment we call is a, a CBT, cognitive behavioral therapy. So as I stated earlier, cognitive basically means thinking. And so um, we are focusing on this specific type of therapeutic modality. We're focused on our thought patterns. We're identifying those cognitive distortions and we're learning how to deconstruct and restructure them. We're also looking at the behavioral aspect. So why would behavioral uh, be behavioral aspects be important in terms of depression? Well, think about it. You know, we talked about how depression can be a result of lacking um, serotonin and dopamine, norepinephrine, you know, all those different things that are highly, um, highly correlated with like behaviors and activity and such. So when we change our behavior, when we change, when we start to incorporate uh, behavioral activation is what we call it inside of the treatment plan, then we're able to target depression from a two-pronged approach where we're looking at cognitions as well as targeting behaviors. Um, narrative therapy is, you know, I think this is Dr. Afia's lane, but you know, we're focusing on values, explorate values, exploration, and skillfully helping clients to identify their own strengths and looking at what that means. So we're identifying our own narrative and basically giving ourselves permission to rewrite our story. Um, Dr. Afia, did I explain that well enough? Awesome. <laughs> and then we have interpersonal therapy. So this is basically when we're the depression treatment helps you to focus on interpersonal conflict where you might be experiencing that results in depression. So if someone is depressed um, as a result of friendships or relationships or family dynamics or what have you, we would go about treatment in that same way, focusing on the relational aspect. Um, and, and the idea is that depressive symptoms will begin to reduce and to be mitigated once we focus on the interpersonal functioning of that person. We can go to the next slide. All right, so there are different styles of therapy as well. Dr. Rafi, I must say, we got some good pictures in here. I, I just love all the Black women uh, pictures <laughs> in, our, in our presentation. Um, all right, so we have individual therapy as one style of therapy. So this is probably one of the most common styles of therapy when you, when you even when we see 
therapy on TV, strong likelihood that you'll see the client on laying on the couch or sitting on the couch talking to a therapist or a psychologist or whoever. And they're on that one-on-one type of dynamic, that one-on-one basis. And they're basically kind of working through things individually, working on things um, from that from that very targeted specific angle. Um, however, there can be some limitations to individual therapy. Molly had some interesting individual sessions on Insecure. That is so true, Dr. Afia. Um, And so some of the limitations, though, to individual therapy is some people may struggle with focusing on their own thoughts and emotions in a one-to-one setting. I don't know if anyone here has ever experienced individual therapy, but sometimes it can feel really, really intimidating. It can feel uh, intense when you're the the target of the session, not being targeted, but when you're the the main focus of the session and, you know, you're talking about your thoughts, your emotions, and sometimes it can feel overwhelming. And also there is less opportunity to see others going through similar problems. So I'm less likely going to be able to hear from my friend, um, you know, Afia, who might be going through similar situations. Why? Because I'm meeting individual individually with Dr. So-and-so. And so that is why we often talk about and we promote group therapy for especially Black women, people of uh, African descent, us healing together. Dr. Fia always says we do not heal in isolation. So group therapy is beneficial because there is more opportunity to connect with Black women who have similar experiences. And the group therapy space is a microcosm of society. And so that's actually a concept uh, taken from, I believe it was Yalom. So Yalom talked about how He's a psychologist who who talks about how um, when you're in a group therapy setting, it's basically representative of how you show up in the world. And so I don't know if y'all watch, um, you know, shows. Y'all don't judge me, but I like uh, 50 Cent's uh, little um, series that he has on stars. So in Raising Canaan is what it's called. Raising Canaan. Uh, one of the actors is they're involved in group therapy. They have to group th- have to go to group therapy every single week. And I love how they highlight and how to bring out um, how Marvin is his name. Marvin is showing up in the group exactly how he shows up in the world. So the same level of anger that he experiences with other people with like the fighting and the killing, he shows up in group that way. And he's able to kind of work through his anger in the group setting and actually take that same level of anger or same strategies that he has for anger to the outside world. And it's helping him with his communication with his daughter. I hope I'm not spoiling it for y'all. I was just up last night catching up on that show um, (laughs) in so many different other areas. So that's just an example of how group is a microcosm. You can start, you can work on things in the group setting and also take that information into the real world. All right. So Again, this is why we offer group therapy for Black women. Um, Dr. Afia, this is our our third cohort, right? I believe this is our third one. And fourth. Okay, so this is our fourth cohort, y'all. And so I have seen so much growth and progress in some of the women that we've been able to Sincere said they love that show. I love it too. Uh, so many women who are able to benefit from the group. Dr. Fia, what would you say are some of your favorite things that um, we discussed or talked about in group? Hmm. Okay, it's a hard one because there are so many relevant topics that I'm like, oh, they're going through that too. I'm even going through that um, in terms of uh, thinking about uh, just ha- how to manage work-life balance stress. And of course, we can't disclose what happens in the group because what happens in the group stays in the group. So it's hard for me to even give highlights. 
but just like the magic that happens when black women show up for each other, regardless of what the issue is. I think our last group really had a a mother theme to it. Um, People negotiating how to protect their children in the society that's so aggressive and oppressive. Um, And just even how to like stay healthy. This isn't, Right. That it is a process to to achieve health and balance and um, all of that. So that's what that's my way. in. Yeah. And, you know, Dr. Afia, so the fact that you you brought up um, the, the common themes associated here. Right. So like the, the common theme of motherhood, the theme of uh, allowing yourself to be a mother and also to be a, a human. Right. There are certain things that we can only get and uh, experience as black mothers as as opposed to like being in a you know a more I guess uh I don't know a white group or <laughs> group that's not centered around black women um and so that's what makes this group so unique and also Dr. Fia even thinking about like how we make it so relatable I think that black women are able to relate to the group because they're able to relate to us like it's so many times Dr. Fia where you would make a reference to like, you know, set it off or <laughs> make a reference to some other uh, Black thing. We talked about hair before. Like so many things I feel as though um, makes Black women feel seen in our group. And that also helps to facilitate the therapeutic and the healing process. Um, and so it is a group that allows us to focus on our three objectives. And one is to learn how to process emotions and past experiences, um, to experience vulnerability without self-imposed guilt. Well, why is this important? So one of the re- one of the things that I feel as though hinders us as Black women from being able to really show up as our authentic selves is that, that fear of judgment, fear of um, being seen as weak, fear of vulnerability, um, that fear, again, being judged, right? Being seen as less than uh, because we might express emotions or being seen as too much or being angry because we do express intense emotion. And so we give our women the space to be vulnerable without feeling guilty. Hopefully they'll learn those, those skills and practices and show up in their families and in the world with them. And to also learn and practice new methods of communicating with others in order to improve functional relationships. I love our group, Dr. Fia, because it allows us to be able to, again, like show up in the group setting, but also receive feedback from group members about how we're showing up, uh, receive feedback regarding alternative perspectives. And, you know, Dr. Fia, I think one thing that makes our group very uh, different from other groups is because, again, there are two psychologists, two highly trained licensed clinical psychologists facilitating it, but also we are, I more so um, am highly trained in CBT and Dr. Afia more so has that narrative therapy approach. So we're both coming coming at um, our group members and to our groups with like these two different therapeutic modalities that we're both highly trained in offering different perspectives from those angles, which again can be so powerful in those moments and help to facilitate that healing process. Um, yeah, so Dr. Afia, let me know if you have anything else that you want to say about our group yeah I, I it's hard again because I can't say too much without giving away how do you talk about something that's so amazing but private and confidential yeah. so it just the fact that we like doing it so much should be indicative of how powerful the group is mm-hmm. um that that again there there's such a parallel process as we relate to each other 
um, and how that impacts a group dynamic too. I love it. I love it, Doc. Um, so here are just a few details of our group. Um, so we do meet on Wednesdays from 7 to 8.30. Um, there are only 10 spots and it's 10 virtual sessions. And we do have free consultations available. And um, Dr. Afia, do you have times for those consultations already? I do. I'm about to um, put my, my personal calendar in the chat. Okay. Um, so people could just click it. So give me a second because let me just put my, my stuff in there. <laughs> yeah, you're good. You're good. So at this time, um, we would like to open the floor for like questions or any dialogue that you all may have um for the few minutes that we have left. Uh just to kind of get feedback. Like what are some thoughts that are running through your mind? What questions you have? Um, we'd love to connect with you. We appreciate that so much. Yeah. Um, y'all, I I I don't know how this is going to sound, but I, I I fell in love with Dr. Shonda years ago. And so um, <laughs> this definitely is an expression of um, love for black women. And again, like to have a to have a, a colleague that, that you can work so well with and recognizing that we work together. It's way more powerful yeah. than when we work alone, like to be a therapist can sometimes be a little bit isolating. Mm -hmm. And so it's so beautiful to see when Dr. Shonda picks up on something that maybe I didn't notice at first, or um, when she affirms my intervention, like that was really good. So to have um, a colleague that that has the same values is really important. So thank you for that feedback. Yes, thank you so much. And then I see has a question. Um, yes, I want to thank y'all for this session today. I have a question as far as joining um, y'all groups. If a person is already in, um, say, taking one-on-one therapy, it would that be counterproductive to add that? Um, I'm sorry, I have children in the background, but, um, you know, just wanted to ask how, you know, how would that work out? You know, would that be good to do? Divine, that's such a good question. That is such a good question. It's interesting how individual therapy and group therapy complement each other. Basically, what happens on that one-on-one, -on -one, like Dr. Shonda was explaining, that you can go deeper into a specific issue or topic with your therapist, but what happens in group, other things come up. Relationships are key to the healing that happens in group because you have to explain the, the deep crevices of your mind and emotional world to people who haven't met you before, strangers and people who are fully invested in your healing. So it's interesting because sometimes a group member might not want to follow up on something that happened, but then the group's like, what did you end up doing on that date? Or did you end up getting that surgery? Did you like all these different things where there's this follow-up that, um, and they can disclose. So one of the things about individual versus group is that your therapist is going to be like, oh, that happened to me. And this is how I resolved it. Unfortunately, that's not how therapy works because of the ethics, but for group, Somebody could say, actually, that happened with my child, too, and this is how I approached it. And so that happened a lot during our last cohort, like I was sharing, for the uh, for some reason, motherhood was coming up, and people got to affirm and not critique, like, oh, don't do that to your kid, but like, have you tried this? Or I really like how you described that. Um, and so I think it goes well together. And for me to disclose, y'all, I'm about to disclose real deep right now. I have been in individual and group therapy at the same time. I've done them together and the experiences are very different in terms of learning more from group members versus you don't learn as much from a therapist. You learn about yourself <laughs> from individual therapy. I don't want to discount individual therapy. It's great. But 
you're, you're kind of learning more about yourself, but what happens in group, you learn more about yourself within um, everyone's experience. And, and there's a lot of insight, like, Ooh, I never thought about it that way before because someone else is telling their story. We actually do a lot of healing work by hearing someone else's story. So I just gave a really long answer. Sorry, but I got excited. No, that was good, Dr. Afia. Do we have any other questions? I think there was a question about other days of the week. So I know before, I think we offered it at a different time. So like afternoon and then evening. Um, but as of now, I, we just, go ahead, Doc. Did we do a Monday once? I think one of our cohorts was a Monday group. I think, I think our first one was. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Feedback about days of the week. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So right now it's it's on Wednesdays, unfortunately, that we're not offering a um additional day in this cohort. Um, but we understand like if you know if you'd like to join or if you have a have to to miss one or um depending on schedule or what have you, but as of now it's just this one day. All right, Dr. Shonda, the people have spoken. They, they're expressing gratitude that this was helpful, that they learned a lot about cognitive distortions and it wasn't just overthinking, but actually the, <laughs> it's um, a name for it. <laughs> and um, postpartum care seems to be a thing. Maybe we can talk more about that too in future yeah. things. Awesome. All right. <laughs> so we're so glad you all joined us on World Mental Health Day. Um, it could spend the your, part of your day with us and happy Indigenous Peoples Day as well. Um, Dr. Shonda, what's your closing thought? I am happy to have spent my World Mental Health Day with you all. It was definitely a pleasure. Um, we did record it, so we'll send this out to you all as well. Um, and we're looking forward to, to connecting with you guys further. <laughs> all right. Thank you all thank you. so much. Have a wonderful rest of your day. Share this information with others. Talk about those cognitive distortions. Talk about drapedomania, hysteria, all the things that you learn. We want this information to spread. It's so important that we become um, aware and emotionally intelligent and understand the cultural historical elements of being a Black woman in this country and taking care of yourself. So take care, everyone, and have a lovely, lovely World Mental Health Day. <laughs> Bye. Hey there. Ever thought about what makes your heart beat a little faster? Oh, you mean like when you discover a new track that just speaks to you? Yeah, or finding a movie that you can't stop thinking about? Well, get ready to feel that excitement all over again because Amazon Prime is here to take your entertainment and shopping experience to the next level. Absolutely. Prime isn't just about getting your packages quicker. It's about diving into a world of endless possibilities, from the latest releases to exclusive content you won't find anywhere else. And don't even get me started on the music. Prime offers concert specials that will transport you right to the front room. It's like being at the hottest gigs without leaving your living room. I use Prime to tap in with some of my favorite artists' live shows from any and every genre of music. Trust me, Prime is a game changer. It's like having a personalized superstore and entertainment hub right at your fingertips. So why wait? Head over to Amazon.com forward slash Prime and start experiencing entertainment like never before.